It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. All right, welcome in, everybody. Uh, it is Patrick Johnson here on the Patrick Johnson Show. And uh, we are ready to rock and roll. Pilk, check your text. Check your text, Pilk. Check your uh, text. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll do that. Tell you what, uh, on the fly here today, as we always are, Whatever involves my show. <laughs> uh, but, hey, I'm used to it by now. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and do a, a pilk. Are we, are we ready, uh, positioned to do a pirate report? Because if we are, I think that's what was in order here. I think it's a good idea. All right, let's do a, uh, of course, we got pirate basketball coming your way tonight. It is a uh, 7 o'clock tip against the Memphis Tigers, nationally televised game. You can listen to it on 107.9 and 94.3, the game. Uh, you can do that uh, by uh, tuning in on the radio at 6.30 with a uh, tip of 7 o'clock. Right now, we have for you a pirate report. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's pirate report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3, the game. All right, uh, East Carolina. Taking on Memphis uh, tonight, and uh, Bobby Bebebebebebop. Let's see here. I don't need to be in that screen. It is uh, the beauty of live broadcasting here today. What is uh, what can has. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Coach Swartz, let's start with him. Uh, And he says, simply put, Memphis will be a big test for the Pirates tonight. In here tomorrow night, um, I think Memphis is one of the very best teams in this conference, and to be quite honest, a team that was, uh, it is basically in, my, in our minds a top 25 team, team that was ranked 10th in the country, and we know what kind of program and coaching staff and players they have, and uh, coming off of two great wins, again, it's going to be a huge test for us. Uh, Coach Schwartz says uh, the grind is what makes this time of year great. No, the grind is what makes it great. I mean, I think we, we, our guys are excited to be in the mix right now. We're in the middle of the pack in terms of uh, the conference and, you know, seating and things like that as you move forward and, and a big game in Greenville with, with a great Memphis team coming in here. I think our guys are really excited about that. I think the grind is what everybody's going through in college basketball right now, late February, early March, but that's what you want. You want to be in those kind of games. And so uh, I think our guys aren't thinking about it like that, but it is late in the season. There's been a lot of travel. I think every coach and every team would say that. But our guys are excited in terms of where we are right now. Uh, And uh, more from Coach Swartz when he was asked about how he felt the program uh, was doing to be, as he said, a middle-of-the-pack team. I'd give our guys credit and and our coaching staff to to be prepared game-to-game and keep working every day. We had a great practice this morning, a highly competitive practice, and 
you know, I think all those things play into that we've been able to have some success at times in conference play. Uh, there's, we have such a long way to go, and there's so much more we have to and want to accomplish. But to be where we are going into this game tomorrow at 7-7, seven and, seven and, and again, right in the middle of the pack, looking at seeding as we head towards uh, Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth, you know, yeah, that's a positive. And uh, more from Coach Swartz uh, when he was uh, asked about uh, the test that David Jones will present incredible threat on all three levels he's a dynamic scorer uh, but obviously their team is so much more than just him um, but he is a, an elite scorer he's had a, a magnificent season an all-conference uh, type of season and we know again what kind of test it's going to be for us to guard no one player is going to be able to uh, you know guard him that's a that's a team effort but again Memphis is a complete basketball team and uh, how the defense can help the crowd and the offense yeah, you know, it's going to start in transition defense. This is a uh, extremely fast team in transition. They score in transition. So we're going to have to set our defense quickly and not let them get out. And then it kind of flips to on the offensive side, taking care of the basketball because they're as good as anybody in the country at converting turnovers into points. So if we can be in a half-court defensive game and we have those longer possessions where our defense is good, you know, that's the positive for us because that's honestly where our strength is. Uh, playing that other style, that's not really what our strength is, and we understand that our defense is where we have to hang our hat to have a shot. All right, that is uh, today's Pirate Report uh, as far as the audio presentation part goes. Let's take a look at uh, some of the other big news and notes. The uh, destinations and dates have been put out for the uh, uh, for the pirate football schedule so that is complete now uh, Pilk are you ready uh, for this uh, obviously we know Norfolk State is the uh, opener on August 31st uh, and then you have the uh, road opener at Old Dominion September 7th painted purple game on the 14th against the happy Appies. Appalachian State will be coming in happy State uh, then at Liberty on September 21st, painted gold game against UTSA September 28th. That's a tough putt. At Charlotte on October 5th for the Pirates, and then at Army on October 19th. So you, at least you get a an open week if you're East Carolina ahead of the matchup against Army. Temple will be the opponent on October 26th, the Saturday. Painted black uh, for the November 7th game against Florida Atlantic. And then on the uh, 14th of November, a trip to Tulsa. Trip to North Texas on November 23rd. By the way, that Tulsa game is a Thursday night. And then a uh, November 29th Friday date, either that Friday or that Saturday after Thanksgiving, East Carolina put back at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium to wrap up the year, but it'll be against Navy. Uh, so what's interesting there is that's going to be Military Appreciation Day. So I would think there is the possibility that you'll have uh, – you know, a decent crowd with it being Military Appreciation Day. That's better than uh, having uh, just a regular old game, I would think. So Navy may be able to draw. It just kind of depends on where the mids are in that time of year and uh, how active the recruiting, if you will, if you'll pardon that pun, is uh, for uh, ECU marketing for uh, athletics as far as, uh, you know, going to the military bases and, uh, and, and getting them in. Uh, here for the families that are in uh, town that weekend. Uh, let's see. What else do we have really quick here before we get to our first guest? Uh, the uh, LeClaire Classic has been altered. Uh, baseball has been moved up. Uh, Jason Dietrich and Cal State Fullerton are going to have to play at 10 tomorrow morning against Southeastern Louisiana 
and then Purdue and East Carolina will be at two. So we'll have a 145 airtime on 94.3, the game for uh, radio coverage. Uh, and then somewhere after the game, we'll be on with the Patrick Johnson show that afternoon, uh, live from the stadium. And then uh, on Saturday right now, the 11 a.m. start, Southeastern Louisiana and Purdue, ECU and uh, Fullerton are still scheduled for a 3.30 pitch. That may get pushed back a little, given the timing of the rain. And, of course, now you got uh, Sunday, a 9 a.m. and a 1 p.m. Uh, game uh, there. But uh, all of that could very well change because of weather uh, this weekend. All right, uh, speaking of uh, baseball. Uh, in the uh, LeClaire Classic, I'll be joined uh, in the uh, TV booth for ESPN Plus tomorrow by the uh, analyst for all pirate games on ESPN Plus this season. It's a Mully Thursday. Mike Mullis in the hizzle on this uh, Thursday. There he is, the lovely and talented. Ladies and gentlemen, always on the go, Mike Mullis. We had Mully, then we lost him there. Uh, Mully, uh, good to see you, my friend. Uh, we talked to Jason Dietrich today, the old pirate pitching coach, now the head coach at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, man, what a guy. Yeah, great guy. And, you know, it's always cool to see the good guys get their dream situation, and he's he's living uh, kind of his best life. A West Coast guy, dream always to be the head guy at Cal State. And, um, you know, and he's getting to live it out. And, his love for the game and his passion for development of players. And I mean, just the way he goes about things. Um, yeah. Just a rock star of a, of a dude. And, and as we, you know, kind of like to say one of the good ones and he, he truly is. One of the unique abilities of Mike Mullis is to talk the game without over talking the audience. Uh, that's, that's an ability of yours, Molly. I think you have, but you're a guy that likes to get in the weeds on ball. You really like to get in the weeds. I know you. And so you and Dietrich can get in the weeds on all this stuff. So that's got to make you happy when you talk to him. Yeah, and we have. We, we, we tend to take a 10-minute conversation and turn it into uh, 30 or 45 minutes. And he loves the game. I mean, it, again, the passion um, is obvious. And it's not, just a, it's not just the wins and losses. And it's the, uh, it's the development of young men. And, again, a lot like Cliff. I mean, there's no accident that, that – that they found themselves working together. And uh, and I would have to dare say that I, I think Jason Dietrich still would be here if it wasn't for the opportunity to go to, again, a, a dream situation from him in Cal State Fullerton. But he got roots in, uh, roots in the area and uh, still has family here, makes it back. And, you know, he, he truly does love East North Carolina, and he's very, very excited for his young uh, Titan club to, to get to experience Clark Claire Stadium. Yeah, they're young. I forgot how many uh, just great players they had on last year's team. I didn't realize it until we were talking about it today. I knew he had some studs, but by God, he had a half dozen guys that are were drafted. So, um, All right, let's talk about tomorrow's game. By the way, as, in case you missed it, it has been pushed up to 2 o'clock. Uh, Purdue comes in, kind of a scrappy, scrappy bunch, the Boilermakers. Uh, and uh, I think that's going to be kind of an interesting game. Um you know, we talked to the Purdue coach yesterday. He's the guy that kind of got it fired up in uh, Campbell, got that going. He's bounced around a few places, has wound up at uh, Purdue. And uh, they've been a team that has had to play from behind in some games, but they have also been very offensive. Yeah. So Greg Golf, um, again, that name will ring familiar to a lot of baseball people in the area. Um, you said it, PJ. He – he, he was the turning point for that Campbell program that became 
kind of the thorn in the side for East Carolina, you know, for the last, you know, six, eight, ten years. Um, but Coach Goff is 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 he's one of those guys that his style very much matches his personality. He they're they're going to get after it. They're uh, they're going to play extremely hard. That uh, they're going to be very well coached. And you're right, they're going to be very offensive. And you know, I, I I love the term. You know, he talked about they 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 like to run their offense with the you know the the gas pedal matted and 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 but they've had to play behind at times. Uh, throughout the year so that takes away some of your aggressiveness so it'll be interesting I, I you know it's going to be a it, I think there's going to be some runs scored uh you know they've not faced frontline pitching like they'll face out of the starters um obviously the concerns with the bullpen and I think everybody in this tournament shares those concerns with with kind of where the bullpens are for for all of college college baseball right now as everybody's kind of trying to figure themselves out but uh, it's it should be it should be uh, again an interesting matchup when maybe when we when when you know when when we get past the starters they have scored double digit runs in like six of their eight games so they're they're not afraid to kind of go toe to toe and swing the bats now they will be missing uh, one of their big bats out of the lineup uh, serving a one game suspension for uh, for a warning or an ejection in their last game but nonetheless the rest of the club. I mean, they're going to swing it, and you're talking about a team that's six and two, and uh, this certainly will be like Cliff likes to do. It'll be another test. We're uh, talking ball with uh, Mike Mullis joining us uh, here on the uh, PJ Show. He and I will be in the uh, TV booth the next uh, two Pirate baseball games uh, tomorrow against Purdue, which is now a two o'clock first pitch for the uh, Leclerc Classic. And then uh, right now the scheduled 3.30 pitch with Fullerton on Saturday uh, coming up. Molly, let me ask you a little bit about uh, the Pirates. You alluded to it there. I mean, obviously frontline uh, pitching. Uh, I thought the, the way it was described to us today is a streaky momentum offense for ECU. That seems to ring true. A little bit of that last year, uh, but uh, I think this year that's certainly the case. When you look at uh, the Pirates through these first ever how many uh, games, Obviously, what happened in the series with North Carolina sticks out because that's a legitimate series win against a big-time opponent and some great games, uh, and then some perplexing losses on the road. Yeah, you know, and if you look at the losses there, they're one-run losses that uh, you can look at two or three situations in each of those games and say, okay, there's the run. You know, there's where the run was given up that, that ended up being the difference. So when you play quality clubs, that happens. Um, not to make any excuses, and obviously every time somebody says that, it's kind of like saying it's not about the money, uh, so you know what's coming. But I uh, <laughs> that that uh, that ODU game was the ultimate trap game. Uh, you look at East Carolina coming off a, a very emotional weekend, winning a huge series in amazing fashion, uh, then having – you know, the NCAA mandated day off on Monday. And then, you know, you go to ODU and not not the greatest environment to play a baseball game, kind of, you know, crappy weather and not hugely attended. And, and you know, you give up, you give up a walk-off home run. Um, again, I, later in the season, I, I don't think that those things will happen or be as prevalent. I, I think this team's kind of playing their way into finding themselves and, you know, the last team that we saw do this was a team that ended up hoping uh, hosting a super regional. So, I certainly don't think all hope is lost. I, 
I mean, there are some glaring concerns with the bullpen, and that that that's I mean, that's that's evident to the non-baseball people, just you know, average consumers or fans of the game. But they're going to have to figure these things out uh, again. Having this conversation with some other guys around the country, I, I really, really feel like a lot of programs are in that same situation where they are trying to figure out what those bullpen roles look like. And and so the conversations become, PJ, I wonder how much of that is attributable to to the portal. And here's what I mean by that. If you look at and even Coach Dietrich today mentioned that one of their, you know, the their starter is a transfer that, you know, got a couple guys out of the portal that'll be in the pen. You start seeing guys that have made moves from other programs that didn't necessarily uh, have the highest level of success or they're jumping, significantly jumping levels. And let's just take Carolina, for example. They had two kids on the roster. One came from, and these are offensive players, one coming from Quinnipiac and one was a D3 All-American. When would you ever think you would see a, a Carolina baseball roster with that kind of composition? So going back to the bullpens, I think you're seeing a lot of guys that are um, trying to believe that they're good enough in these situations, trying to believe that they can compete at these higher levels, or you have the freshmen that are just trying to figure out where they belong in Division One college baseball and college baseball at large. So, I mean, I you know, I, I think it, that that – you know, you've always historically had that player in the bullpen that grew into that position and kind of earned their stripes in, you know, kind of in that program. Now that 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 player may opt to say, look, I, I don't want to take a chance of being a bullpen, bullpen guy again. I'll transfer or, you know, I, I do something different because, again, it's we're not blessed with a ton of patience as humans. So I, I think it's, you know, that's going to be an underlying theme for not only the Pirates, but for lots of college baseball, I think until the, you know, maybe the middle of the season. Mike Mullis, uh, he'll be on the call for the two uh, full production games for ESPN Plus this weekend. All the games will be on Plus uh, with the uh, pass-through radio audio coming up on uh, Sunday. Mike and I will be on the call. As far as Purdue tomorrow, uh, Mully, what do you think East Carolina will be looking for? Obviously, you Savage will look to build on a fantastic start at North Carolina. But as you go through the rest of the uh, uh, roster or the rest of the lineup and even into the pen, what are you looking for in day one of this event if you're Cliff Godwin and company? Again, you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be um, that, that, that front-line performance by Trey um, and, and then – Offensively, consistency in scoring and 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 and, and a consistent effort. Uh, three big punch outs in ODU cost that game. You know, two look and one swing. And um, you look at again the fact that the Pirates can put up three, four, five runs in an inning. But you you know you would almost rather see that spread out over five innings to have you know consistent scoring. And so I think that's the challenge for the Pirates is to string it together. Uh, offensively to make, you know, make the, the effort to win every inning um, kind of simplistically. But as it relates on the other side of the ball, Trey Savage, you know, has to give a great start. Love to see the Pirates get up four or five with him out there, uh, pass it to the pin, and then, you know, the pin start to figure out how all this stuff works. Molly Thursdays right here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Mike Mullis, thanks a lot. Absolutely, buddy. Look forward to uh, tomorrow.
Yep, absolutely. Uh, Two o'clock first pitch uh, for the Pirates now and uh, Purdue, the Boilermakers. All right, uh, taking a timeout. And when we uh, come back, uh, we're going to hear from Brian Mall. We're going to talk basketball. You see you in uh, Memphis tonight, plus some other things going on in the uh, world of college hoops. So stay tuned. More of the Patrick Johnson show when we come back. You ready for this? Oh, I'm very ready. Okay, ready? You ready? Streaming to the world at 943thegame.com. This is the Patrick Johnson Show. Now in all his glory, here's the P-Man. All right, uh, welcome back. Patrick Johnson Show here on uh, 94.3 The Game and the IBX Media app. Uh, Pirate basketball tonight, 6.30 airtime, and it will be a 7 o'clock tip as East Carolina will uh, host the uh, Memphis Tigers. We'll talk about that and a lot more with uh, Brian Mull, who joins us uh, now, college basketball uh, writer at BG Mull on uh, X. Mole, how are you? I'm doing well, Patrick. Hope you are. Yeah, hanging in there. We're uh, we're making it, as they say, making it. Um, let's uh, start with uh, tonight's basketball game. You've got uh, ECU kind of sitting there in the middle of the pack, uh, lower middle at uh, seven and seven. You've got Memphis all of a sudden playing some good uh, basketball. Um. Interesting game tonight. You know, I, I hope there's a big crowd. I think there will be. I think a lot of people will be into the um, into the game. And uh, we'll see how it plays out. I, I, I really think it's going to be a, a fantastic environment and a really uh, fun game uh, tonight, potentially. So uh, has Memphis figured it out coming into this game, you think? Or is this just uh, a mechanism of kind of who they played? or where, Actually, they've beaten two pretty good teams in their last two outings. So... Uh, is as Penny's group started to put it together, maybe. I, I think so. Uh, there's obviously ebbs and flows to any season for any team, and uh, this was a Memphis team that had a, a terrific non-conference and really early American stretch, and and, and looked like a not only a, a NCAA tournament team, but a team that could win games in the tournament. And then uh, they hit a long skid, and uh, you just don't expect a team like this to have a a four-game losing streak with uh, a couple of really inexplicable losses to bottom-tier teams. But I think uh, they regrouped. Uh, they uh, had two very impressive showings at home to beat Charlotte and FAU, and uh, now are in a, in a stretch of their schedule where I think they can, um, y- you know, uh, ha- have an opportunity to to maybe get back on to the bubble. I don't know if they're, if they're there, but I, I think this is a Memphis team that's, that's trending upward, which is not great news for the Pirates. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they've also had, uh, you know, some injury, uh, that situation uh, to a guard. You know, so I don't think it's so much about uh, the midseason transfers disrupting any kind of chemistry. I just think it's about, you know, you've got uh, guards who uh, or, or a lead guard, a, a, a an alpha guard out, and that's his. You know, that takes a, that takes a minute to get recalibrated, even for the best teams. Yeah, and uh, certainly got. Uh, you know, they're not uh, full strength with their starting center Malcolm Dandridge uh, being yep. Uh, yep. under some academic uh, questioning. There uh, will not probably be available tonight, and so. Uh, 
you know, they're, they're, they, that changes the complexion of their team. Certainly uh, their defense, interior defense, he was an excellent rebounder. So, um, you know, this is a great opportunity for the Pirates who have a dawning four-game stretch here that will really define – we've said this a number of times when I've been on, like they've, they've had these pivotal stretches during the season that are going to define the season, and uh, this seems to be another one of them looking at, uh, you know, a four-game stretch against four of the top half teams and, and seven and seven – which way is it going to go? You know, there's a lot of a lot of ways the Pirates could uh, could finish up this regular season right now. Yeah, I you know, I, three and one seems a little ambitious. If I'm if I'm just speaking from a posture of of, of uh, realistic expectations, I think a split is a hell of an accomplishment out of this stretch. And I you know, I think it's unfortunate the Americans not done any uh, scheduling favors to ECU. I mean, you're essentially four games, including a Texas trip where you stay on the road the whole time in a, a, a what, nine, ten-day stretch. I just think that's really, really tough. So, uh, Brian, as we look at uh, the road ahead, uh, you know, what is success for the Pirates at this point? I, I think it is a situation where unless maybe Rice went berserk and they lost to Temple last night, uh, you know, the Pirates can kind of finish in that upper eight you know, so I mean, that's that's something, I guess. But they were picked fifth in the preseason. So what what is success here? If you go four and zero, my gosh, Katie barred the door. But you know, what what would be success given the uh, the road ahead for ECU? I mean, three and one would be would be significant. But that's this this point. I mean, looking at being an underdog potentially in all four of these games, including the the home finale against Charlotte, that'll be a pretty a pretty small line, but maybe an underdog there and. Uh, two and two puts you at nine and nine, 500 in a stronger than expected American. Um, and then you have to go to the conference tournament and win at least one game, which kind of locks up a winning record overall on the season. And I think if you do that um, with the, with the offensive struggles that this team has had uh, this season, for whatever reason, just the poor shooting um, inability to get to the free throw line and make free throws consistently, I think if you can finish 500, uh, it, would, it would be a building block in Mike Schwartz's efforts here to build the program. You know, and I think this, I think you got to get more out of Ezra Azar. I mean, undoubtedly, R.J. Felton is going to do everything he can to get his. Uh, you know, Memphis athletically is going to make it uh, tough on him tonight. And uh, when you look at Brandon Johnson, he's going to have to play big. But I think Ezra Azar's got to get a little tougher. And he's got to accept the fact that I'm not going to finesse my way to, to scoring here. I'm going to have to Brahma Bull my way to scoring. I'm going to have to be the guy who initiates and absorbs the contact rather than, you know, maybe athletically getting around it. Yeah, I mean, we see it this time of the year. Uh, it feels like free throw rates kind of spike in January. Officials are calling everything really tight. And then as we get late in the regular season and the games are more significant as far as standings and teams are playing for buys and teams are on the bubble and, and, and we really kind of getting into a postseason feel at the end of the regular season, I feel like the refs kind of let them play. You know, you've got to, as you mentioned, you've got to finish through contact. You've got to score those grown man baskets and you can't look for the refs whistle to bail you out. Um, uh, around the basket in, in particular, you know, there's just going to be some contact, whether it's going for a rebound or going up to score, and you just have to be able to to be strong enough mentally and physically to finish that play and uh, force the referee to make a call and not beg him to make one. 
Uh, maybe a little more on this game and uh, a lot more on the uh, rest of the college basketball uh, world, including uh, a couple of new additions to the uh, so-called best conference in college basketball who were one of them's running the place. The other one's had a heck of a win this week. Uh, that and other soup du jour with uh, Brian Mall. But right now, Philip the Ref Pilkington with a 94-3 The Game Sports Flash update and Pirate Report. Thanks, P-Man. Starting in Pirate Athletics, the basketball team will be in action tonight as they host Penny Hardaway's Memphis Tigers. And Coach Schwartz talked about the problems that Penny's team will present. Huge test with Memphis coming in here tomorrow night. Um, I think Memphis is one of the very best teams in this conference, and to be quite honest, a team that was, uh, it is basically in, my, in our minds, a top 25 team, team that was ranked 10th in the country, and we know what kind of program and coaching staff and players they have, and uh, coming off of two great wins, again, it's going to be a huge test for us. The Pirate football schedule has dropped. They will open conference play at home on September 28th when they host UTSA. The uh, close road game of the conference season will be the following week, October 5th, against Charlotte. Notable games throughout the rest of the year. Thursday night home game against Florida Atlantic on November the 7th. Thursday night away game against Tulsa on November 14th. And Thanksgiving weekend, either that Friday or Saturday, hosting the Midshipmen of Navy for Military Appreciation Weekend. You can see the whole schedule on our Twitter page right now. It was a tough day yesterday in Pirate Athletics as softball fell 11-2 to NC State and lacrosse fell to Elon 13-10. There was a proposal today for a new college football playoff that would begin in 2026 that would have 14 teams, allowing three from each of the Big Ten and the SEC, two from the Big 12 and the ACC, one group of five school, and that would leave one left over at large bid. That'll do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Flash update and Pirate Report. On the other side of this timeout, we will have more with Brian Mole previewing the week ahead in college hoops. Download the new IVX Media app now and get the show for your ears and eyes. Doesn't it look great on me? This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Tired basketball tonight, 7 o'clock against the Memphis Tigers. Uh, last word on this before we talk some other things, uh, Ryan Mull. And, uh, you know, what will it take for the Pirates in your mind tonight? Well, they have to make some shots uh, first and foremost, which has been a bit of a struggle at times, and they have to uh, make this a half-court game. I think Mike Schwartz mentioned that earlier this week. Uh, they, they have to control the clock and control the ball and not allow Memphis to get out in transition and make it a, uh, an up-and-down game. You know, ECU enjoys a slower pace and, and half-court type game where they can run through their offense and, and where they have a chance to guard Memphis on the other end. So, uh, the, the pace, it's got to be in the 60s for ECU to have a chance. I think if it gets up in the 70s, approaching 80, the, it certainly plays in Memphis's favor. All right, let's talk about well, – by the way, do you think Memphis at this point um, – and I haven't looked at any bracketology today, uh, but would you say Memphis is trending towards maybe getting in or being more solidly on the bubble to get in? Where would you say the Tigers are right now? Because you can't discount I, I, what they did before Christmas. Correct. Correct. Those wins count as well, and and you have to respect them for not only playing a challenging non-conference schedule, but winning some of those games away from their building. And the committee always does. I mean, you're looking at a team that's twenty and eight, and uh, 
you know, they've dropped down to like 80th in Ken Palm. So they probably need to, to get that up to 50 in the fifties or so, but they have an opportunity to do that here down the stretch. Uh, I think this is a Memphis team that needs to win out the regular season and, and probably make the finals of the American okay. to, uh, to feel good about their chances. Well, they got enough talent to do it. What about FAU at this point? I feel like FAU is in. Um, they, they've played a, a pretty challenging non-conference schedule as well and uh, picked up some some solid wins, none bigger than the uh, the win against Arizona out in Las Vegas. Um, I, I feel like FAU is a tournament team. They're top 40 in Ken Palm. And, uh, you know, again, played, a, played the kind of schedule, a top 50 non-conference schedule that I think you have to – there has to be some reward for that. There has to be incentive for these uh, teams that feel like they have an NCAA caliber team to go out and schedule uh, non-conference. It's just great for the game of basketball, and uh, that it's it's what we need to have happen every year in November and December. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, more with Brian Malls. We talk some basketball here. Uh, you know, I don't know how this Houston to the Big 12 thing is going to work. I mean, let's face <laughs> it, they they beat up on the lowly American every year and only had to really get up for a couple of games, you know. Now, Kelvin Sampson's team did make a Final Four and an Elite Eight, but, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, what a joke. Uh, <laughs> that, that Right now, and I mean, take this as I'm, as I'm saying it, they're not only the number one team, but they are one of the top, certainly ten, maybe five programs in the country right now. Programs. There's no doubt. No doubt about it. Uh, I think if anything, what this proves is the perceived gap between the so-called power four, five, however many there are this week, conferences and the, and, and the next tier is, is not as wide and probably more narrow than it's ever been. And if you are a dominant team as a Houston was in the American and a team that has bona fide NCAA tournament credentials with multiple runs into the second and one into the third weekend, then you can compete in any of these conferences. Um, and if you defend and rebound and, and have tough dudes like the Houston Cougars always do, that's going to translate. And it certainly has. Uh, they have uh, just come into the Big 12 and overtaken Kansas. Uh, mind you, this is not a vintage Kansas team. Uh, this is not one of Bill Self's best rosters. I've not been impressed with it from day one. But but heretofore, I mean, it, they have dominated that conference for 15 years. And this year, it's Houston. Uh, they have an elite defense, not only this season, but historically. In a year when offense has flourished at an unprecedented level, they are maintaining their defensive efficiency numbers, uh, unlike any we've seen and uh, they, they win close games. They have This is probably the best guard play that Kelvin Sampson's ever had, and we all know what that means in March. This is a national championship contender, and I agree with you. This is a top five, top six program in the country, and, and Kelvin Sampson, if not the best coach, uh, he's certainly on the list. BYU beats Kansas this week, so there's another team that we don't know how they're going to handle things in the mighty Big 12. And uh, they're a game over 500, obviously with three to play, so anything can happen. But they're a 20-win team also. How deep does the Big 12 go in your mind uh, for, for Selection Sunday? I think it's about eight teams, you know. Uh, I think so BYU's in. Lot, BYU's yeah, I in, think basically. BYU's in. There's been a lot of banner about some of the weak non-conference scheduling in the, among the Big 12 teams. Some of that is true. 
Um, yeah, there were a few marquee games, but there are also a lot of cupcakes at home. I think the interesting thing about BYU, like you could look at Houston physically and the way that they play stylistically and say, okay, this is a team that can compete with anybody. And any throw them in any of these conferences, they're going to be fine, not only compete, but, but flourish. BYU kind of reminds me of when Spurrier uh, was at Florida in football. You know, the SEC was a three yards and a cloud of dust, run the ball and defensive kind of league, kind of a low scoring, uh, old fashioned football. And Spurrier came in and started slinging the ball around and scoring 40 or 50 points and winning the conference and winning a national championship. And that's kind of what this BYU team has done. You know, they don't look the part like a Houston, they're a team that half of their field goal attempts are three-pointers, but they said, we're going to keep doing what we do. Mark Pope, uh, he recruits to it. They run beautiful offense, and uh, three is worth more than two, last time I checked, and they knocked down 13 of them in Allen Fieldhouse the other night, and they get to the free-throw line because they run such good offense, um, you know, with guys driving to the basket and cutting to the basket, and so – I always find it fascinating when a team can come in and play a completely different style really than anyone else in that league has played and, and be successful and um, good hats off to them. Uh, 20 wins already. Yeah. They're, they're a tournament team unless they just collapse down the stretch. But I think even they've, they've got enough of a cushion uh, kind of built in right now. I think they're okay. All right. We got Brian Mole with us here. How good is South Florida? They finally cracked the top 25 this week. They'll get Charlotte this weekend, and really, you could argue that's their last big test before the conference tournament. Uh, it's on the road. Uh, they'll finish on the road at Tulsa. In between, they've got Tulane at home, and uh, I think Tulane just has no legs at this point uh, because of you know playing in those World University games or whatever they were in uh, overseas. So uh, what, what's the ceiling for South Florida, and if they don't win the tournament, are they in? No, I think they have to win the tournament, unfortunately. I mean – uh, Amir Abdur Rahim coming in his first year, uh, he wasn't probably thinking NCAA tournament. He certainly wasn't thinking we need to build an at large resume. And uh, they went out and played a 300 non conference schedule, which is totally understandable. I mean, he had a whole new roster. He's coming in at a place where they've not had any success and he's trying to build something. And then they got off to a horrible start. We're two and four um, early in December and, and things just weren't looking good whatsoever. And, and then now, I mean, they've dominated a very, very good American, um, but uh, I just don't think there's enough meat on the resume, even though the record's impressive. Uh, they're, they're probably going to have to win the, the, the conference tournament, which is unfortunate. But uh, if we want to reward teams for, for what happens in November, I mean, we can't discount it in a case like this either. And, and, and really, when you look at their best non-conference wins are Florida State and Loyola, Chicago, and I don't think either of those teams are, are a tournament team at this point either. Um, so, uh, I mean, it, it should take nothing away from what he's accomplished there. I mean, uh, this guy is is one of the best coaches uh, around, not just young coaches, but, the, I mean, the job he did at Kennesaw and what he's done this year. And uh, the, the South Florida people better uh, go to the piggy bank and make sure they do everything they can to keep him <laughs> because he is going to be on high on a lot of athletic directors lists when the carousel starts spinning here in a few weeks. And uh, they, they would be wise to try to do everything in their power to keep him. By the way, uh, we're going to get a break here because, uh, Brian, can you stay for the final segment and do hold my beer? Can you do that or are we keeping you if we if we do that? Tell me now. Tell me now. No uh, pressure. I can, I can, I can hang right. around. I'm hoping you'll talk about something that was the big college basketball controversy this week. That's what I'm hoping. We will see, though. We'll see. We're going to do Hold My Beer next and wrap up the uh, Patrick Johnson Show for the week.
Do you have something you need to get off your chest? Get off your chest. I am not here for rage. I'm here for revenge. Did your favorite team blow another game? They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Or is there just something that's driving you crazy? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. It's time to let it all out. You have made me very angry. Very angry indeed. With another edition of Hold My Beer. Hold my beer. All right. Hold my beer. Uh, let's, uh, let's start with Brian Mall. College basketball uh, writer at BG Mall. Uh, Mall, what do you have for your hold my beer? Uh, hold my beer. Can we uh, have some reasonable discourse about court storming? Because everyone has chimed in. Uh, the the, uh, the social medias have been ablaze with all the hot takes. I read one of the worst columns I've ever read from a alleged national basketball <laughs> writer. Um, I've heard yeah, NFL players talk. I mean, it's just, it's insanity. Okay. Can we have, can we agree that court storming is okay? It is part of the fabric of college basketball. It can be enjoyable. College students are, should have fun. It's a great time of your life uh, to, to when you're young and you're in college and, and you don't really have any real responsibilities and storming the court after a win, even when your team is the favorite in Las Vegas, can still be fun. <laughs> right. It's fine. It's fine. But can we, can we also understand that there are human beings on the court that uh, the court belongs to them and, and until the game is over and, and in the immediate time afterward and, and the, the, every, everything must be, taken care of to to make sure that they are out of the way out of harm's way uh that there's nobody storming at them that, that there's no crazed fans running towards them uh who may not be paying attention to where they're going so can, can we not just find a some type of happy medium there where everybody gets what they want uh and unless you've ever been in the middle of a Eight, seven, eight hundred people running at you full speed. You probably don't know what it feels like. So maybe your opinion is not, uh, you know, solid there. And just uh, let's come up with, let's come up works, uh, whether it's a countdown clock, uh, but a little bit better security, a little, you know, be prepared when you think, oh, this is an opportunity. This is a big name team. Uh, this would be a big upset. Maybe we should have uh, all the steps in place. So uh, I think both sides can win here. Nobody's trying to abolish court storming. But uh, we also don't want to see any type of incidents or perceived incidents, however serious anyone may think that they are. And, uh, you know, the court belongs to the players. I had a, a friend who managed a rock band. He told me the stage belongs to the band when the show's going on. And, uh, uh, you know, it's the same thing in basketball. The court belongs to the players. They're the ones that need to be out there. The fans can come out there in due time. That's it. Uh, Bill, any thoughts on that? Because I'm, I'm with Mull on that. I'm 100%. I, I think that was reason. I think yeah. that was very reasonable. It's part of the game. It always has been. However, for some reason, players, it seems like getting injured are new. The Caitlin Clark incident, the Kyle Filipowski yeah. incident. And, you know, it seems like back in the day, and correct me if I'm wrong, but fans used to do a better job of kind of jogging out there. And the gentleman who hit Filipowski was like, it looked like he was being timed in the 40-yard dash. I think if right. we can just implement maybe some punishments if you make contact with a player, 
you know, some sort of fine, maybe you're banned for 365 days from NCAA-sponsored events, kids will jog out there, still run, but they'll be more yeah, aware no, of that's a, what's going on around them. That's a, that's a great suggestion. Here's what I also think, and I'm, I'm, I'm in no way advocating this. If, they, if, they, if Filipowski would have just slugged him, Leitner would have slugged him. If he had just slugged him, then that, as Mike Tyson says, you have a lot of great plans. I'm paraphrasing here, till you get punched in the face. No, Reddick would have slugged him. Leitner would have pushed him on the ground and gave him a love tap, and then yeah. um, and Grayson Allen would have tripped him. Brian Davis was a bad dude, and he'd have gone. He'd have thrown down with him. Brian Davis, there's a name for you, Mole. He's that yeah. dude was a bad dude. Uh, I, I, I so think was, the players have every right in that situation to do whatever they need to do. I mean, uh, sorry, you're out there in their space, and uh, whatever happens, happens. Uh, what you got real quick here, uh, Pilk? Hold my beer, and this is kind of going off Mull's thing there. Um, people thinking they're the only person in the world. Again, the guy who just <laughs> went in a dead sprint. That was one of them. Another incident I had the other day was – there was a lady at my apartment complex emptying her groceries. Oh. There was no um, parking spots right near her apartment, but she wanted the short walk. But instead of veering her car to one side or the other, she stopped right in the middle of the lane, and I could not pass on either side. She would have had the courtesy to veer one way or another, but no problem. So hold my beer. There are 7 billion people in the world, and many people think they are the only person in the world. Simply put, people are the worst. There you go. <laughs> Mole, Mole stunned silence on that. Uh, hold my beer. College football playoffs, considering a 14-team format that would put three in from the Big Ten, three in from the SEC, two in from the ACC, and two from the Big 12, and then the highest rank from the other five leagues. It is the 3-3-2-2-1 AQ model. First of all, isn't this illegal? Isn't this some kind of, of antitrust or collusion or something? Second, it's garbage. Because that leaves you three slots. If you don't think the SEC and the Big Ten are going to get those three remaining slots. So, I think it stinks. Stinks. Anybody have any comment? If you look at any reputable power ratings, uh, eight of those top 16 teams for next year are in the SEC. Now, I'm not saying eight teams need, need to be in the playoff, but uh, let's pick the best teams. We finally got to a point that I like the fact that we've expanded. We've gone from two to four to now to however many, 12 or 14. Let's try to pick the best teams and so we can have the best playoff. The hottest teams, the best teams, the teams have proven it on the field. And and frankly, uh, let's, do it. let's let the Vegas power ratings pick those teams beyond the automatic qualifiers because that way you're going to get the best teams. I agree with everything Mole's saying. We need the best teams, but I am okay with a few lower automatic qualifiers. If you look at every other sport, there are lower automatic qualifiers. Our favorite yeah. thing is the NCAA tournament. You've got it. You look at things, uh, softball, volleyball, it's all the same. So, you know. This has to violate trade laws or be collusion or something. I, I just, until people get serious, these other schools get serious about staking out the claim of their turf and defending themselves i don't know what to tell you they're so scared they're going to miss out on some dollars that they're never going to get all right uh thanks to mike mullis thanks to brian mole we'll be back monday with the pj show 
I'll see you on ESPN Plus. Baseball the next two days, women hoops on Sunday.